Matthew chapter number 20. I, I know I've done it a few times. I don't typically do it, but um, we're going to have two texts, and these two texts I think are related. And I'm going to bring this together to speak on this subject, this question of will today's Christians endure the tribulation? Will today's Christians endure the tribulation? We've been talking a lot about end time stuff on Wednesday nights, and I guess my mind's just there. My heart's been there, but that's the subject here this morning I want to talk about. But we'll get to that, but uh, we're going to build up to it first. Now, first place I want to look is Matthew 24. When we talk about end times, Matthew 24 is one of the first chapters will pop to most people's minds. In fact, I remember Inspirations back probably in the 60s had a song called We Are Living in the Days, talking about living in the days of Matthew 24. Uh, I've heard a few other groups do it. I hadn't heard it in years. But but so, I mean, this is a very common passage it will be turned to. In fact, I, I think this is one of our Lord's greatest sermons. Um, there's a few different sermons or, you know, these longer discourses, speeches, whatever you may want to call them. I think the greatest is the Sermon on the Mount, but this is up there with that. Uh, In fact, it far exceeds it in scale and scope. But it all begins, really, in in verse number 3, with a question from his followers concerning the end times. It says, And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, his disciples came unto him privately, saying, Tell us, when shall these things be? And what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? And today... Almost 2,000 years later, his followers are still asking the same question. Uh, what about when you come back? When is Christ returning? Well, what's it going to be like at the, end, uh, at the end of the world? One thing I'd like to point out from this, just as a passing comment, I like the fact that they went straight to Jesus and asked him. A lot of times we get a question, we'll talk to everybody else. We'll call our friend up. We'll call, uh, we'll, we'll get a book off the shelf. We'll, we'll get on Google. Well, Google, what does Google think about it? They went straight to Jesus. I like that about it. They went straight to the source. Now the next verse, um, and by the way, I'm just going to read these two verses. We kept going. We'd be here until probably sometime next week. So we're just going to read just these two verses from this chapter. So I know it kind of stops in the middle here. I apologize for that, but I want to take this next verse. This, and Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you. Two things I, I want to point out about this is, he says, let no man. That's a human being. That's not God. Remember, they went to Christ for the answers. So he's saying there are men, fallible men out there. And then the next thing says, deceive you. I looked that up in uh, Strong's Concordance uh, and, and the different uh, uh, synonyms for that word, the definitions, means to go astray, deceive, err, seduce, wander, be out of the way. So he said, don't let people trick you. Don't let people get you off where you're not supposed to be. Christ is saying here that there are some wrong, deceitful, dangerous ideas about the end times that will be peddled by man. And by the way, they were doing it back then. If you go back and you really, if you want to cure insomnia, go back and read some of those writings by the rabbis back here, and they'll talk about it. They had ideas back then about it. 
There's so many ideas and theories and plans and systems out there that claim to have unlocked what the Bible says is in store for the world. And I'm constantly amazed at what people claim to find the in the Bible that no one else has ever seemed to find before. Uh, amazes me the things. I remember hearing a, a preacher preach one time. And I, I, I need to go back and find the passage. I cannot remember what it is. But the word mouse was used. And he said, oh, look right there. There's going to be computers in the in the end times because the word mouse is used. And but, no, talking about a mouse. That's not a little furry creature, not a computer mouse. But anyway, uh, besides that, most people don't use mice anymore. They just tap right on the screen on your iPad or your phone. I'm constantly amazed at how people blindly follow professors, personalities, rather than find out what God really said. Now the second text we have is 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. I'll give you a moment to turn there if you'd like, just two verses there also. A little background, Paul is writing here to the believers at Thessalonica. And you'll find the story of the founding of that church in Acts chapter number 17. And... To kind of summarize, is Paul was only there for a short time. It specifically says for three Sabbaths. So for less than a month, Paul was in this city. And while he's there, of course, he's preaching the gospel, he's, he's discipling, he's training, he's teaching, he's busy about the Lord's work. And because he's only there for such a short time, my thinking is, he just did not have time to really fully ground these people. There's a lot you can learn and important things you can learn in a few weeks about Christianity, but there's other things we will spend eternity getting to the depth and breadth of. And one of the things that he doesn't seem to have time to cover that, that they were preoccupied with was having to do with end times and the resurrection and, and, and judgment and different things like that. You'll see in both of the letters that Paul wrote to them. The fact the first one mainly deals with a confusion about the second coming of Christ and the blessed hope of the Redeemer. We read that often at funerals, passages from uh, the first, uh, first letter. The second one deals largely with confusion about the tribulation period. Um, you see what Paul says right here in, in 2 Thessalonians chapter number 2. He says, Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus and by our gathering together unto him, that ye be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled, neither by spirit nor by word nor by letter as from us, as that the day of the Lord is at hand. What we believe is that some false teachers had showed up after that first letter was written, I mean, Paul's been gone. I don't remember exactly how long. I, I don't recall that, but he's been gone a while. And during that interval, somebody showed up and said, hey, let me tell you about the end times. And the specific thing, when you kind of read between the lines here, it appears that they told this these Christians that, oh, the tribulation, the future judgments Paul told you about, you're in the middle of them right now. You are living in this period. Now, what does Paul say to them? Three things I'll point out. It says that they should not be troubled about it. So there's no reason to get worked up about it. No sense to lose sleep. It says that they shouldn't be. They shouldn't fear it. I think that's important. He says that they shouldn't be afraid of what was to come. And then he also says that they should be able to understand the truth. If you were to go back and read books on Revelation, a common a common theme you'll find, especially in older books, over a century old, 
people say, well, you just can't understand Revelation. I'm sorry, you can understand Revelation when you read it. It's not a mysterious book. If you go at it and read it, it makes sense. These two passages in Matthew and 2 Thessalonians, I see a relationship to one another. Both of them speak of confusion or ignorance about what will happen in the future. Both speak of people being troubled and upset when they did not understand what would happen. And both speak of false ideas that deceive in distress. I had a conversation just uh, Friday with, uh, with someone. And they, in the course of the conversation, it was asked of me, what do you think uh, about, about the tribulation? Do you think Christians are going to go into the tribulation period? And I'm telling you, I, I could tell from the, the just the voice, the demeanor, this was something that was really worrying this individual. Now, and I, I, I'm going blank. We're talking about losing our memories and stuff. Uh, I had one of those moments. But I know just a couple of weeks ago, I had a very similar conversation with someone. I just, I can't remember who. So it may have been one of you. I don't, I don't remember who it was. But I just remember talking about the same thing. And it may have been me and Jake. Sometimes me and Jake get to talk in theology uh, whenever, whenever he's around. And, um, you know, I, I don't know where that, where that came from. But I tell you, if you just look at the world around us, the uncertainty, the chaos... Just look at the things going on around the world from COVID that's up into the entire world system, the chaos in Afghanistan, the earthquakes that are happening, the hurricane uh, that's coming. There have been wildfires everywhere. You've got the Dallas Cowboys football that's going to be a fiasco. All these terrible, horrible things that are happening in the world. No wonder people are concerned about what is in store. If you look at the best-selling Christian books, I, I looked up the best-selling Christian books on Mardell's website and on uh, uh, ChristianBook.com. Uh, so hard, I still want to call that CBD. They've rebranded it's Christian Book. They don't go by CBD anymore because CBD stands for something else now. Um, they always think of them as Christian book distributors, but they're ChristianBook.com. Sorry, I'll chase that rabbit. But if you look on there, you will find bestsellers. What's going to happen? Uh, what what's in store for the future? Some of them are really good. I I, I like David Jeremiah. David Jeremiah is a, a a good author, a good preacher. He's 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 sound. I, he's one I'll, I'll mention. If you see a book by David Jeremiah in the end times, he he's probably going to be very solid. Um, there's others that aren't. Uh, I'll name a name there too. I'll tell you the the guy Jonathan Kahn. Uh, he he's scary. Some of the stuff he finds in the Bible. Um, I think. God punches Gabriel on the shoulder and says, did you know I was talking about President Trump right there? Uh, every time, anyway. So, uh, not a fan of his, but uh, anyway, you can go right now, right now, if you were to get out your phone or get on computer. Anybody remember Jim Baker? He's still around. You can go to his website. He sells prepper supplies. Remember the preppers? I hadn't heard about them in a while, but those are those people that were stockpiling food and things. I hope none of y'all do that. I don't know. Carrie may have a whole basement full of this stuff. I don't know. But you can go there. In fact, you can for $100 buy right now a six-gallon bucket of pancake batter. Um, 
It'll last 30 years on the shelf. So you, I guess if the apocalypse comes, you can have your pancakes. Um, I found someone that said that they bought some of the food and they tried it and they said it was awful. You couldn't pay them enough to keep eating it. But why is he doing that, by the way? Because he says Christians are going to be in the tribulation period. He says, oh, be careful. They're going to be hunting for you. You're going to be in hiding and you need to have these food. So you can, uh, what they call it, bug out bags. They, 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 you know, you, you have your bag to run out in the woods to your cabin and hide and all, all this stuff. With all that confusion and uncertainty, I want us to see this morning a little bit about what the Bible says on the subject. It's kind of like the disciples. Let's go to the source. First off, I want to say, what is the tribulation period? What, what, what is this? I, I think that's important to understand. What are we talking about? And this subject, the Bible has a lot to say. I don't have time to go into all the details on this. I barely covered the high points in one lesson on a Wednesday night. Uh, in fact, y'all are beginning to think Wednesday nights or overtime is pretty much usual as we've been talking about some of these end time things. Uh, so there's so much we could go into, but some highlights. The Bible talks about this being a seven-year period. We get that from Daniel chapter number 9 and verse number 27, uh, Daniel's 70th week, a period of seven years. If you go to the book of Revelation, numerous places, but uh, in chapter number 11 specifically, you'll find three and a half mentioned. Three and a half, three and a half. So you'll find these numbers, seven and three and a half. Well, it's, talking about, it's talking about this seven-year period. It's kind of divided in two but a seven-year period. What happens during this time? It's a time of judgment such as the world has never seen. I love the description. It scares me, but I love the description that's found later on in Matthew 24, verse number 21 and 22, Christ talking about this. It says, For then shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, nor no, nor ever shall be. And except those days be shortened, there should no flesh be saved. He says this is the worst thing the world's ever seen, and if it lasted longer than seven years, there wouldn't be anyone left alive. That's how horrible the judgments are during this period. The descriptions, horrific, apocalyptic, uh, are terms I would use. In fact, you go back to Matthew 24. Matthew 24 talks about this time period. What does he say? In verse 6, you shall hear of wars, rumor of wars. So talk about war, turmoil, fighting, death. Uh, you go down verse number 7. There shall be famines, pestilences, earthquakes, in diverse places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. We're just getting started. Wars, famines, earthquakes. And it's just getting ramped up. He says, when you see that, it's just getting started. I'll make the case on a couple of passages. I think at least half the world perishes during these seven years. In Revelation chapter number 6, verse number 8, one of the, the four horsemen there, uh, the, 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 the one says, uh, you know, he sees it says, Behold a pale horse, his name that said on him was death, and hell followed with him. Power was given un unto them over the fourth part of the earth to kill with the sword, with hunger, with death, with beasts of a, a fourth part of the earth. Some people say, Well, that's a fourth part of the landmass. I, I don't I don't know. I, I kind of think fourth part of the world. If a fourth part of the world dies, 
Think of how tremendous that is. And then if you go to chapter number 9, verse number 15, um, talks about, uh, it says, Four angels were loose, prepare for an hour, a day, a month, a year, for to slay a third part of men. So if you take the world's population at the beginning of this time period, divide it into four parts, a fourth is gone. Then a third is gone. That leaves only half of the world's population. If that's not sobering to think about, you know, we talk about the losses from COVID and, and, and other things. That's minuscule compared to this level of annihilation that the world will see. Well, I don't have time to get into the details. I don't have time to talk about the mark of the beast or the Antichrist or, or the various judgments that will come. There's dozens, if not hundreds, of prophetic details about this period. And this is language I typically would not use, and especially from the pulpit, but I think it's the best description of this period. This is hell on earth. I think that is the best description for this time period. The world has seen hard times before. I looked it up last night. Uh, there's lists out there, people's opinions. What's the worst year in the world? Some people said 2020 was the worst year. Uh, 2020 wasn't that bad. I looked it up, and here's a few I found. In 1347, the bubonic plague was at its height. 60% of the Europeans died. In 1816, they called it the year without a summer. There was a, a, a Mount Tambora, I think that was in Indonesia, if I remember right, erupted, and all the ash and, and, and dust uh, were so heavy in the air, it cooled the earth down. And it's called the year without a summer. Snow it's documented that snow fell in June in Europe and North America. I'm going to tell you, if we saw snow falling in June in Texas, we would think something had happened, wouldn't we? 1601, a volcano in Peru uh, erupted. Temperatures cooled. It led to famines across the world. In Russia, the famine there uh, between 1601 and 1603, one out of three Russians died because of the famine. 1919, the Spanish flu killed millions. They say at least half a million Americans died with the Spanish flu. 542, going back further, kind of the late stages of the Roman Empire, the Justinian Plague, one quarter of the world's population, they believe, was killed over a period of two years with this plague, and they don't even know what it is. Maybe it was COVID. It's back. I don't know. But you think of World War I, World War II, the horrors that happened in this world from the Holocaust to the trench warfare. Think of the Great Depression, the Dust Bowl. Those are a little bit more local, but I read those stories and I cannot believe people survived through those times. And my friends, if you add all those together, you have but a glimpse of the tribulation period. We've seen hard times. We've seen terrible times. It's nothing compared to what's coming. Some say maybe, they might say it's fantasy. But I will remind you, when it comes to prophecy, the Bible is always right. The Bible has said that the kingdoms would rise and fall. It talked about the Greeks and the Romans before the Greeks and the Romans were of anyone's concern. Look at the details of Christ's birth. It said where he was going to be born. So it was Practically when he was going to be born, when you study it out. You look at all the details. Say he was going to go to Egypt. Hundreds of prophecies about the Messiah, and they're all true. And so you look at the prophecies about the tribulation, you look at the prophecies about Jesus coming again, say, well, that hadn't happened yet. 
just because it hasn't happened yet. It's a going to. Authors hundreds of years, hundreds of miles apart, have their messages harmonize into a unified message in the Bible. And the pictures we get are clear. When you start taking those little data points and, and linking them together, you'll find that when you read the tribulation period, you study what it says, it's very detailed and it is awful. The next question is, how far away is the tribulation? I cannot say. I will not <laughs> go in here and say, it's coming next Tuesday, or it's coming in this year. Uh, people have tried to predict, you know, well, Jesus is coming back on this day. Uh, the 1800s, a group called the Millerites, I can't remember what year, it was 18-something, and they said, it's coming in this time. Guess what? He didn't. Uh, God's got his own timetable. But I know this, with every second, every heartbeat, it draws closer. When we read the descriptions from Matthew 24, from Revelation, we see similarities, wars, famines, hatred against God, hatred against Israel. By the way, that's satanic. That's not just racism. Human beings can be awful. There's something satanic behind the hatred against the Jews and Israel. Earthquakes, just so many things. And I, what I feel is things are ramping up. Things are getting warmed up. What we see happening, it's already starting to build up and the crescendo is coming. The ancient Greeks had a story. I've referenced it before. It's funny. If you ever read old sermons from 100 plus years ago, they'll use some of these old Greek stories because everybody studied these back in, back in school. You learned you know, the little Greek fables and things. But there's a famous one about a man named Damocles. And um, I don't know whether it's true or not, but I know different philosophers, I think Plato or somebody used it. Um, about as much as I get into that as Plato, I like to play with it. You know, play with it. It's a bad joke. Anyway, Damocles, this fellow, he's sitting there talking to this king. Uh, the king's name is given as Dionysus. Dion yeah, Dionysius. And Damocles looks at this king, looks around the, the palace and looks at the gold and the luxury, looks at the power this king has uh, over the people and the subjects and the land. Damocles says, my king, you're so lucky. Look what you have, the opulence. Look at the, the, the treasures. Look at how people serve you, how everything you want you can have. King Dionysius said, okay, Damocles, I'll trade you places. Why don't you sit on the throne for a day? Damocles said, all right, sure, I will do that. So the next day, Damocles comes in. He sits on the golden throne. He looks out and the treasures, the art, the, 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 the jewels, the gold, the servants, the food, looks out at all of these things. And then he looks up. And hanging over the throne is a sword. And the sword to the uh, pommel, to the, you know, the end of the hilt there, is tied one horse hair. And that horse hair is attached up to the ceiling. As he sits on that throne, that sword is up there, held in place by one strand of hair from a horse's tail. He, what the king wanted to do was to teach Damocles that with great power, there's also great danger. And Damocles saw that sword and says, you know what, King Dionysius, I think I'll trade places with you again. You can have your seat back. 
It's a little moral lesson. But when I think about the end times, when I think about the tribulation, I can't help but think about this because I know it's up there. I know it's coming. And I don't know how close it is. It could be one horse hair breaking away when this comes. We see it. We know it must fall. We only wonder when it will fall. Next, can we avoid the tribulation? Most everyone nowadays uses their phone for, for, for traveling. When we went to, down to Houston and Galveston you know, uh, a few weeks back, um, driving down, especially Houston. Oh, driving in Houston, why would anybody drive in Houston? Uh, I just thought DFW was bad until I got down there. But as we're coming back uh, one, one, one day, we've been down to Galveston, and we're coming back up the interstate there, uh, the little voice on my phone, actually I think it's my wife's phone, and my wife has her set to a British voice, which is interesting. Um, but uh, the little British voice is uh, something like, a, a, the, the accident detected ahead, a rerouting. And it uh, said, well, exit here instead, and you could go around this wreck. Well, it rerouted. It found a faster alternative. Sometimes I've had my phone pop up, and it'll say, here's a quicker route you can take, and you can you know, go a different way and be a little bit faster. As we travel the road of life over the next hill, over the next turn, could be the end times, could be the tribulation. And there's not a person alive that would not want to find that alternate route to avoid going straight in the tribulation. And let me say, praise God, He has already provided that escape route. Remember how Paul had written to the Thessalonian church? We talked about them. They had some confusion about the end times and such. In 1 Thessalonians, and like I say, uh, this is one of those passages you'll hear at funerals and such sometimes. Paul writes this to them, and he's talking mainly about the saints that have already died, what will happen with them in the resurrection. But listen to what he says. 1 Thessalonians 4, verse number 13 by the way, this is one of those passages, I don't often say mark in your Bible, this is a great one to have a little asterisk or mark or underline or highlight or something because this is a good one to go back to, this passage right here. It says, But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that, that, that are dead, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe, that's a key word there, that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus Christ, will, will God bring with him. Verse 15, For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we, those Christians alive, which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord, shall not prevent them which are asleep. That means proceed. We're not going ahead of the people who have died. Verse 16, For the Lord himself, who's that? That's Jesus Christ, shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we, Christians, which are alive and remain at the time when Jesus returns, shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, so shall we ever be with the Lord. What is this talking about? This is talking about an event called the rapture. That's the term, term we give it. A snatching away, a carrying away. That Jesus comes like a thief in the night and takes out His children. By the way, I don't even have it in my notes. 
John 14, he says, I go to prepare a place for you. And what does he say? I'm coming again for you. So I'm not just going to prepare a place. I'm coming back for you. What happens here? Christ returns before the tribulation and calls his children out of this world. Those saints living at the time, Paul's writing this almost you know, 1,900, 2,000 years ago. He said, those that are alive at the time, that could be us. Paul thought it could have been them. That's how close this is on the horizon. But those saints that are living are translated, taken up. Those dead are resurrected. All are given glorified bodies, free from sin and pain and sickness and death. See, I look down at life and I see there's two paths laid out before mankind. The first is a wide road. I'm going to call it the way of sin. We won't look it up on the map. We know where it's headed. You ever turn off on the road and you don't know where you're going? Sometimes you get on one and you finally find a street sign that says, you know, so many miles to whatever town or turn here for this. And sometimes say, welcome to Oklahoma. And you say, oh, I went the wrong way. And you turn around. But this way of sin, look at the gospel map. It says the destination is hell and destruction. There's a second road. It's a narrow way. We'll call it the way of salvation. Its destination is heaven. It's peace. It's joy. Without Christ, we are doomed to travel the way of sin to its destination. What does the Scripture say? The wages of sin is death. It's like a, a slide. You ever see those big slides like at the fair? The, the, you know, the kids get on, they'll put them on a little piece of carpet or something. They shoo, just, that's what it is. That's what the, 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 the way of sin is. It's just downhill going fast. Talk about going to hell in a handbasket. That's, 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 that's what it is. And it's the price, the cost of our sin. It's a one-way street. There's no turning around. There's no stopping. It's inevitable. You go down that road, there is only one direction it goes. And it's straight to death and hell. And I will tell you this, if you're alive when Christ returns that road goes straight through the tribulation period. But thank God there's an exit. You want to know where it is? Look for the cross. See our Savior upon it. Hear His plea. Turn. Repent of your sin. Trust Christ alone for salvation. You know, the way of salvation, it's, it's a bypass around the tribulation period. I like the way they do the cities now. I, I barely remember when they built the, the 380 bypass. I kind of remember that was ages ago for me. Some of y'all remember that. But you remember what it was like before that when you had to drive through town and those rock trucks would drive across the, squ the square? Aren't you thankful they've got that built and you don't have to go through town? Sometimes you go down through Fort Worth and the traffic's awful. You hop on 820 and you just you know, make the loop around it. Listen, folks, there's a bypass around judgment. There's a bypass around the tribulation period, and it's that old gospel road. How do you get on it? Through Christ. It will not pass through God's judgment. 
What did Paul say, Romans chapter 8? There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. So musicians come this morning. What road are you on this morning? That's the most important question. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. Don't put it off. Listen, you turn on the news. You think the world's getting better? Read what the Bible says. Things are lining up. Things are in place. I'll be honest, two years ago, I, don't, I would have said there's no way. A warm world government and things, I just don't see it happen with COVID. I've been seeing some things that's scary. And we won't get into conspiracy theory stuff, but the mark of the beast, things like that, you talk about that, that didn't make much sense. It does now. It honestly does. Make sure you're on the right road. Get on the way of salvation. If you're not already on it, get on it. And last, let me say, if you're already on the right path, and I pray this morning you're in church, I hope you are. If you're on the right path, flag down as many people as you can to join you. A few years ago, um, pretty sure it was a Mother's Day if I remember right. I don't remember. I, I can never remember the hurricane names and such that, that come through. But we, uh, I just remember we had, uh, we were still down at Friendship and I'm pretty sure it was Mother's Day because we were trying to get back to uh, Mom and Dad's house and they lived out on 51 north of town. And one of those hurricane remnants had come up and it had sat on top of us and it rained and rained and rained and we had lived out there all my life uh, out on 51. Never seen rain like that. In places I had never seen water close to the road. It was over the road. You remember that. We got stuck over by Joe Spann's old house. Water was coming over his tank and coming across the road. Some idiot tried to go into it and his car got pushed off. Uh, but I remember this, that there was some volunteer firemen. And this volunteer fireman was standing out there, rain just pouring in buckets. We actually... He, I waved him over. I said, sir, would you like an umbrella? He said, he said no, I'm already soaking. It wouldn't do me any good now. But what was he doing? He was standing out there in the road. He had a, a flashlight or something. I don't remember exactly. But he was trying to stop people. Say, don't drive into that. That water's too deep. You're, you're going to crash. You, know, you could get swept away. You could die. Would to God we had some Christians that would stand up Say, folks, don't go this way. Turn to Christ. This road you're on leads to death. It leads to destruction. That's part of our job. That's why God left us here. So we could be the person out there trying to stop, trying to save as many people as we can from what lies ahead. Christian, let's do our duties this morning. If you'll stand, please, we'll have a time of invitation. What number there? Eighty-five. Number 85. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I, Lord, so fired up about this message that You've laid on my heart. So many great topics we could talk about. We could talk about sin. We could talk about judgment. We could talk about Your love and mercy. Lord, I'm so thankful that You love us even though we're sinners. And Lord, I just, as we look around, as we see things, and we see even in the consciousness of folks around us in our nation, there is this feeling that something is around the corner. And Lord, we Christians, we know 
what's, what's coming. Lord, I pray that we be able to reach as many as we can with the truth. Here, our church, our city, our county, our state, our nation, around the world, help us to save as many as we can. Lord, most importantly, I, I know we got church folks here, but if somebody does not know their sins are forgiven, that Christ is their Savior, I pray, Lord, that you press upon their heart and come down. Let's take the Bible. Let's, let's look at it. Let's talk about it. Let's see how you can know for sure your sins are forgiven and that we'll never have to face judgment before you for our sins. Never have to face hell. Never have to face tribulation. But that we will know peace and joy through your love and grace and mercy that is given to us through the blood of Christ shed on Calvary. Lord, speak to our hearts this morning and motivate us, I pray. In thy name, amen.